We're starting our series called Why We Believe What We Believe. We good? Am I good? Okay. Why We Believe What We Believe. And it's going to be a series on the things that this church stands for, what we teach, what we believe about God, about His Word, and why we believe it. Our first lesson this morning is kind of wordy in the title. The title is, and it is kind of wordy, and I'll tell you how I paraphrased it in a second, but it's the who, what, when, where, and whys of theology. And in my uh, file when I saved it, because I'm not typing all that out, I wrote the www of theology. But it's the who, what, when, where, and whys of theology. And we talk about doctrine. Uh, we talk about, you know, a lot of times people have a bad taste in their mouth toward doctrine. But the reason for that is a lot of times pastors will use the word doctrine when what they mean is we've created a rule for our church members and we've kind of twisted a verse of scripture to back us up. Uh, but we're not willing to debate on it. We're not willing to fall from it. Like, for example, there are some churches who believe it's a sin for you to go see a movie in the movie theater. But you shouldn't do that at all. There's a rule when I was in school <clears throat> that you weren't allowed to go to the movie theaters while you were um, going to their school. I, let me tell you, I broke that rule a lot. But uh, it's not, you know, I can tell that now. It's not like I'm going to lose support over it or anything. <laughs> I never had any. Uh, yeah. I'm a bit like Ricky Gervais, you know, at the Oscars. I can just, you know, go on full blast. I don't have to worry about offending them. Mostly because they're not going to see this. But also because I don't really care. Um, but uh, there were some silly rules like, uh, what was another one? Um, oh, you weren't allowed to get married during a semester. If you're going to get married in the middle of the school year, between semesters, you had to get permission from the school. Uh, but then in the summer, it was fine because you weren't technically enrolled. Um, so broke that rule too. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of rules that like that, a lot of stupid rules. Oh, you weren't allowed to, you weren't allowed to grow a mustache. Oh, yeah, when when I enrolled, uh, I was kind of starting to work on some stuff, uh, and uh, they were like, "Well, our rule is if you haven't had the mustache for ten years, you can't have it." I was like, "I'm 19." <laughs> <laughs> Those ten-year-old yeah. mustaches. If I had a mustache at nine, I've got bigger problems than your silly school rule. They laughed and was like, okay, shave it off. And so it's just stupid stuff like that. Uh, dyeing your hair. Amanda used to get uh, put on blast in front of the church uh, at Bible Baptist for dyeing her hair. And uh, just stupid stuff like that. Uh, I've heard of some churches. I haven't experienced this. There are some churches who the pastor will have uh, the people who didn't tithe that were church members that week. He'll put their names on a list on the bulletin board. Uh, there are some churches who the pastor requires each church member to turn in a list of the books that they read that week. And uh, if they're not um, okayed by the pastor, then you get uh, disciplined. And if it happens too many times, you're kicked out of the church. <coughs> I'm like, how do these people have a church still? I don't understand. Who's, who's going to these churches? And like, yeah. But uh, that stupid stuff like that. Is and they'll say, Well, this is our doctrine. No, it's not. That's not your doctrine. That's you being a grumpy, stupid old man. That's not what doctrine is. 
Amen. I mean, that's just true. That's Where just all there is to it. Amen. That's just true. I don't need a laugh. I don't need an amen button. I'm getting amens already. <laughs> but uh, doctrine is what we believe to be true about God. It has nothing to do with movie theaters or churches trying to create a cult uh, uh, atmosphere and pastors trying to control their people. It has nothing to do with any of that. Uh, it's just what we believe to be true about God. Now listen, I can stand up here and preach and, and tell you what I think the Bible says we ought to do. But at the end of the day, it's up to us as individuals to decide whether or not we're going to do it. Whether or not we even agree with it to begin with. Uh, you know, So that's not doctrine. That's what a lot of people think doctrine is, and it's not. So when we're talking about theology, we're talking about what we believe about God and His Word. So before we can discuss what we believe, we need to first discuss why we believe it and why we choose to study the Bible in the way that we do. Right? Because there's a lot of different theories out there. As a matter of fact, when you first become interested in religion, and if you choose Christianity as your religion, man, there's a lot of different beliefs out there. And it's intimidating. I mean, I grew up as an independent Baptist, but there was a time, you know, being raised in public school, honestly, uh, you get fed a whole lot of different belief systems. You know, you get told about the, the ways that other people believe. And you're made aware of the fact that what you come from and what you believe in isn't the only thing out there. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. And it, it was a good thing for me. Because what happened was I started to, you know, be interested in these things, but it was, it's, it's hard to know who to believe, you know? It's hard to look out there and be like, well, he thinks he's right, and he thinks he's right, and they think they're right, and they think they're right. Who do I believe? And that's really tough. <coughs> Excuse me. So what that did was it forced me to ask my own questions. And uh, I had a Bible college teacher who taught, called them the five most important questions in life. Number one is, is there a God? And believe it or not, I did ask this question to myself at some point in life, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. At some point in life, you got to realize you don't have all the answers, right? Whether you're a kid, or you're a teenager, you're a young adult, you're a, a middle-aged adult, or you're an older person. At some point in your life, you come to the realization, I don't have all the answers. So I need to ask these questions. The number one question is, is there a God? Right? And I did the research myself. I came to the logical conclusion on my own that there must be a God. That's what makes the most sense to me. The second question is, uh, it, it, you come to the conclusion, yes, there is a God. You come to the second question, it is, has that God spoken? Right? Because there's some people out there, and they're called, uh, they're not atheist, uh, they're agnostic. And they say, well, I don't really know if there's a God, or if I believe that there is a God, I'm not entirely sure he's spoken to us. Right? Like there might be a God out there, but to know that he's spoken to us from a philosophical standpoint, it seems a little out there. So the second question becomes, has he spoken? Right? And I believe, yes, he has spoken. God uh, would completely defy logic for God to have created everything and then just not communicate with it at all. Right? So is there a God? Has he spoken? The third question is, has he spoken to us in a way so as to be understood, right? What if God's communication to us was beyond us? What if it was too intelligent for us? What if it was uh, something that our society hadn't attained to yet, right? If that was the case, 
what would be the point of the communication to begin with? Right, we were talking about at the very be uh, before we started about uh, proper English, and uh, my mom works with a, a young lady who's a bit like me when it comes to English. We both studied English uh, in college and so forth, and we believe it should be proper. You should know how to speak to the most eloquent communicators, you know, that speak English. Uh, but at the same time, I think you should also be able to relate to the people who can't do that, right? Because at its basis, English is about communication, right? And it's about being able to communicate with everybody at your best possible way. So it's not always about being the best at English, it's about being able to communicate the best, right? So God, being God, and having a message, but it being something we couldn't understand, that to me defies logic, right? God would send us a message so as to be understood. The fourth question is, do we have a reliable record? And that's where the rub is, as it were. That's where uh, people get a little disgruntled because you speak to the Islamic believing people, uh, which are wonderful people. They're not all terrorists, and I think that's a, an awful stigma they get. There's a lot of peace-loving, lovely, uh, Islamic believing people. And uh, I, there's, I know... a preacher, uh, he's a friend of mine, but he's a, a preacher that I've known about for many years who considers himself to be a friend of Islamics, and he knows all about their faith, he buys their prayer beads and so forth, and he's good friends with a lot of Islamic-believing people. But they have the Quran, right? And they believe that that is the reliable record of God speaking, right? We have the Bible. Other religions have other books, like uh, for the Jews, they have the Torah, Right? And uh, there's all kinds of different books, and it's hard to know which one to believe, right? But the thing about the Bible that makes it so unique, and we're going to get into this in bibliology, is that uh, it fits together so well. And that is very interesting for many reasons, and we'll talk about it. But there are several things that make the Bible very unique, right? So, in my opinion, based on those things that we will get into in another lesson, uh, it, the Bible is a reliable record. Which brings us to the fifth and final question is, how reliable? Right, that really becomes the question. Determined, okay, there is a God. He has spoken. He's spoken in a way so as to be understood. We have a reliable record of it, but how reliable is that record? Becomes the question, right? And to me, the King James is the most reliable. It's the last English version we have of the Bible that was written before Koine Greek was a dead language. Koine Greek is now a dead language, and these modern translators cannot know as much or more about the original translations as the uh, hundreds of men, <clears throat> excuse me, who worked on the King James Bible because they were able to speak Koine Greek to one another while they were translating it. <coughs> Several committees over many years determining over each individual word and the best word to put there and use. There cannot be a better translation than the King James. It is a dead language now. A lot of its meaning and terminology and usage is lost to us through the annals of time. Uh, you'd say, well, the King James, it, you know, isn't great for me because it's written in Old English and I can't understand it. It's not written in Old English. Old English is Shakespeare in that sort of a time, and you think because you see the word thee and thou and that sort of a thing, it's Old English, and it's not. It's what's called Middle English. 
Old English is, and any English scholar will tell you this, Old English was very overly complicated. There's a reason Shakespeare was able, knew so many more words than us nowadays is because you've heard that quote before where Shakespeare had so many you know words in his vocabulary and nowadays we only have so many words in our vocabulary that's because Shakespeare knew too many words unnecessary words right didn't need all of that extra and that is true but what the King James Bible is is called Middle English and it was at a point in time in our in the history of the English language where it didn't have the overcomplication of the Old English, but we hadn't quite developed these literary nuggets like YOLO, you know, or swag, you know. <coughs> uh, we we uh, developed the, the literary competency to say E-V-O-O -O because it's just too much work to say extra virgin olive oil. <laughs> You know, uh, it's like, I don't want to have to think so much about my Bible. Well, maybe that's not a good thing, right? Maybe we want to think a little bit about our Bible. Maybe you might want to pull up the dictionary app on your, you know, while you're studying your Bible every once in a while. Learn a new word. It's good stuff. So <clears throat> those are the five. So, so those are the five most important lessons you can ask yourself, right? And it's important to ask why we believe what we believe, not just what we believe. So today we're going to talk about the who's, what's, when's, where's, and why's of theology. Now theology <clears throat> is just the study or doctrine of God. Just the overarching name of God, right? And theology is sort of a uh, an overall term. It's not one of the individual studies of doctrines, right? Theology was once known, and I don't know how many of you know this, but theology was once known as the queen of the sciences. When you study different areas of science, theology was at one point in time considered to be one of those sciences. Right? This thought line became unpopular because, as many people and historians can tell you, it led to some lazy mentality. Right? It led to thoughts like the world works the way it does because God said so. We don't need to ask why when an apple falls from the tree it lands on Isaac Newton's head, right? We don't need to ask why, you know, when we look up at the moon and we see that it's like a crescent moon, why the earth casts a round shadow? You know, we don't need to ask those questions, just God made it so. So it led to some lazy mentality, right? Uh, <clears throat> Asking uh, questions and being curious was not only frowned upon, but at many points was punished by the Catholic Church for centuries, which led to uh, what they call the Dark Ages, right? Uh, where people stopped reading books. People stopped learning, right? They were just ignorant because they were uh, promoted to do, to do so and be so. And it was through that and uh, through a lot of question asking and so forth that you get like the renaissance you know <clears throat> with um, uh, the time of art and culture and so forth that came about and and then through that you had the reformation and everything that, that came about as a result of these kinds of things uh, but the queen of the sciences and theology sort of being over science it led to some lazy mentality and so it was frowned upon however I fully believe that you can have 
a theological framework for science without losing your sense of curiosity and discovery. And, and all it takes is this thing that's honestly, it's still alive even today. This thing of don't ask questions. That's a negative way of thinking is to say to anybody, don't ask questions or don't expose the kids or the teenagers to this because they'll get curious. Being curious is a good thing, right? Being curious is only a bad thing if what you believe in is wrong and they're going to find that out, right? That's the only time that that would be bad. Let them ask the questions. We have the answers. I believe you can put theology over science and make it a framework without losing all of that. A proper viewpoint of theology should open our minds. It should make us ask questions about how this world of ours actually works. Discovery shouldn't scare us. It should make us excited. I can't tell you how many times, like, as you're studying to be a youth pastor in Bible college, <coughs> so many times they'll teach you things like... Um, you know, you don't take your kid to certain museums, you know, certain places like that, because they will teach them about evolution and that's going to make them ask questions. And then you're going to lose kids out of your youth group because they're going to start believing and becoming atheists. Right. That's also why they teach every church should have its own Christian school, because the public school teaches about evolution. They don't teach about creation. And that's going to cause kids to believe in evolution, become atheists and stop going to church. I don't think that's the case. I think public school is a wonderful thing. My kids are in public school. <clears throat> I think public school does a much better job of educating than Christian schools. Honestly, it does. Uh, some of those guys that I went to Bible college with, 10 times smarter than me, hands down. And yet, they weren't at the same level I was when we started. The reason for that is because of Christian schools, sometimes even you know, homeschooling can be that way because it becomes more about learning about the Bible and learning about God than it does about receiving an actual education, right? <clears throat> so I don't think there's anything wrong with public school. Um, <clears throat> I'm not necessarily for the Christian school because I think it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. Uh, but I do, however, know that there's a lot of homeschoolers out there who do a good job, you know, preparing their kids for the future. So, uh, but discovery and and what being exposed to different ways of believing does is it makes them ask questions my son is already you know talking about some things in school that lean toward more the evolutionary way of thinking just because I haven't talked to him about creation yet honestly I don't think that's uh, something that kids are ready for right I think when he gets a little bit older you know becomes a teenager or something and maybe he gets a little more interested in that sort of a thing I can talk to him about it then but <clears throat> I'm in no fear of losing him to atheism right discovery isn't something to be feared it's something to be excited about the word theology comes from two ancient Greek words theos meaning God and logos which means word discourse or rational expression so theology is the expression of what we believe to be true about God. The definition of theology for this church is the discovery and study of truths about God found within the scriptures of God's word. 
And basically why this matters is because everybody has theology. Everybody has a theology. Um, an atheist has theology, right? Atheism. What does it mean to be amoral? Right? It means to be without morality, right? If someone's amoral, the A means without moral, without morality. So atheism, atheism, it means to be without the belief that God exists, which is still a theism. Right? So everybody has theology. And it's expressed in a lot of different ways. Right? It's not always necessarily how we talk about God. Right? Your theology is expressed in how you spend your money. Right? The things you spend your money on tell what you believe to be true about God. <clears throat> if you buy something, that means that you believe that God thinks it's okay for you to buy it, right? You've rationalized that in your mind. If you tithe, you're placing an emphasis on the Lord, on His work, on the church, on God's church. So how you spend your money tells a little bit about what you believe to be about God. How you treat your spouse says a lot about what you believe to be true about God. Many times in the Bible, the, the Lord refers to a marriage as the relationship between God and the Christian, right? God and the church. <clears throat> and how you treat your spouse says a lot about what you believe to be true about God. How we treat our children says a lot about what we believe to be true about God, right? We as fathers or as mothers uh, <clears throat> are picturing, are a picture of the heavenly parentage, right? Our heavenly father. And so everything we do, everything we do, everything we say says something about what we believe about God. So with all of that in mind, there are five primary ways that theology is studied. We're going to talk about three of them because the other two don't matter. Right? It's modern theology, <clears throat> which is new age stuff. And then there's, um, uh, I, f I forget the name of the other one, but it's basically where you get all these other uh, abstract beliefs like um, Calvinism and so forth. But they're not really ways of studying. They're just different belief systems that people have, like the Catholic Church and so forth. <clears throat> but there are five primary ways to study theology. We're going to cover the three that matter this morning. Um, the first one is biblical theology. I've got a handout for you this morning. Because there's a lot of information when it comes to biblical theology. And uh, I don't want you to have to memorize it. So let me hand these out real quick. And to be honest with you, I mean, you guys aren't Bible college majors or anything, so I know you're probably not going to get this stuff. When mom comes back, can you hand her this one? Okay. So, biblical theology. The Bible is a progressive revelation of God. That's what the Bible is. So the study of biblical theology is a study of God through the natural progression of Bible eras and writers and are organized as you see before you. In the Old Testament, it's organized into eras. 
And in the New Testament, it's organized into authors or writers. We say writers, not authors. Um, in the New Testament, because we believe God to be the author of the Bible. <laughs> so when you look at this, you see the Edenic era. Now this covers the time of the creation of creation to the fall of man, and is covered in Genesis one through three, right? So in your Bible, it doesn't cover a whole long period uh, of writing, but you, you imagine from creation to the fall of man, it, it might have been a little bit of time. So that's the Edenic era. Uh, we see the Noahic era is the second era, and <coughs> it's broken down into the timeline of Cain and Abel all the way to the Tower of Babel. And what you see in your Bible is it, the shift there in sort of authorship in the book of Genesis, where it goes from talking about the whole world, right? We've talked about the creation of the whole world, the first man and woman, you know, families going down like that, Noah, the flood, whole world dying and so forth and how it affects the entire planet the Tower of Babel and how languages began at the Tower of Babel and so forth <coughs> and then from there it zeroes in from the whole planet to one man and his family right? which brings us into the patriarchal era uh, a patriarch is like a patriarch of your family right? the man who is sort of the head of the family the patriarchal era covers from the time of the beginning of Abram's journey to the death of Jacob in Gen uh, covers from Genesis 12 to Genesis 50. And that is the patriarchal era. We have the Mosaic era, which covers the time of Israel's enslavement in Exodus 1 to the time of Joshua's death at the end of Joshua in Joshua 24. <coughs> Excuse me. We have the monarchal era which covers the time of Othniel the judge, which was Israel's first judge, there in Judges 3, all the way down through the fall of Judah in 2 Kings 25. That covers the monarchical era. And then we have the prophetic era. And the prophetic era is a little different because it does intersect with the monarchical era, right? Because the, the, prof, the books of prophets don't come after the books of history as far as the timeline goes, right? They both happen about the same time. So they complement one another, and it comes from the time of King Jehoshaphat in 1 Kings 15 down to Nehemiah's reform at the end of the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. Right, And then from there, you have the New Testament. You have the theology of the Gospels, written between 50 and 90 uh, AD, covering the books of Matthew through John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Theology of Acts covers the book of Acts, obviously, was written in 62 AD. The Theology of James, which just covers the book of James, written uh, between 44 and 49 AD. The Theology of Paul. Now, Paul wrote a lot of books, right? Romans through Hebrews. Now, you will see in some places that there are a lot of the, uh, theologians that will add the theology of Hebrews in here in this list. I am of the conviction, and if you don't believe this, that's fine, but I am of the conviction that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. He seems to be one of the only people qualified to do so. He was much more highly educated than everybody else. He was always debating in the, in the temples, in the tabernacles and places of worship uh, with people about these things. He seems to be the most qualified to have written the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> and it fits in his writing style as well. So I've included Hebrews in with the theology of Paul, <coughs> written between uh, 49 and 69 AD. 
You have the theology of Peter, which just covers First and Second Peter. Oh, by the way, the books of Paul cover everything from Romans to Hebrews, uh, and everything in between he wrote. You have the theology of Peter, First uh, and Second Peter. You have the theology of Jude. Obviously, the book of Jude, the theology of John, which covers First, Second, Third John, and the book of Revelation, which is written by John, and that is biblical theology, right? Now, biblical theology <clears throat> should be the first way that a Christian learns about God. Should be the first way that we study about the Lord is through the Bible, the way it's put together, the way it's written naturally, right? Which is why we've spent the last three years studying each part and preaching each part of Scripture before we dive into this. Right? Because you need to be familiar with the Lord and with His Word before we learn how to organize the different concepts we find in His Word. Right? Because biblical theology is the primary way that theology or God should be learned about and studied. The second one we're going to touch on, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in here because it's not necessary, is historical theology. Historical theology is the historical development of Christian theology throughout the centuries. Uh, this way of studying theology is obviously tied into church history. <clears throat> and for a church that takes its theology straight from the Bible, historical theology should be a hobby and not a, a true source of theology. Right? Uh, learning about history is important, but if we're going to talk about what we believe about God, that should come straight from the Bible and nowhere else. You can talk about, well, so-and-so so many years ago said this and it was a good quote, or he believed that and it makes sense to me, but at the end of the day, what we believe about God should come from the Scriptures. <coughs> and what we come to finally is what's called systematic theology. Right? Now, systematic theology is important because it's the study of uh, God and the organizing of doctrines that are foundational to Christianity. Uh, systematic theology is categorized into ten specific areas, and I have another handout for you this morning, but I have a really cool story that goes with it. I told Mom about this morning. And we were both, we had goosebumps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so what you have before you is our handout for the Theology Pyramid. It is systematic theology. Now the cool story is when I went to go print these, print this one out, Yesterday, uh, as you can see before you, I don't know the camera hasn't seen these. So let me show these before the camera. Uh, this is the biblical theology handout. Can they see that, Josh? Yes. Okay. And this is the theology pyramid. A little lower. Lower. There you go. That I handed out. Now, when I opened this up in OneDrive to print it out yesterday, <clears throat> the words inside the pyramid were all in Greek. I did not do that. I don't have any setting on my computer that can do that. And they were in Greek. And that was the only part of it that was in Greek. Was the words in the pyramid. The words below it, all English. <coughs> it was a different font and everything. And uh, when I opened it on my computer, the hard copy, it was in English. 
and it's only the preview. I took a picture of it to prove it. There's only the preview was in Greek. And it was a little like, I don't know, almost, I don't even have a word for it, but it was amazing. It's something you see in movies. Yeah. It pops up and then it goes back. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. But we have uh, this handout, The Theology Pyramid. And this covers the 10 areas of theology, 10 areas of doctrine that we'll be talking about. And it gives you kind of a, a, a key, like you have on a map, that'll guide us through what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, here it is. That's what it did. Oh my God. Yeah, that's amazing. That's like Greek words. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the camera can see. Uh, can black still look at see. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> That's crazy. It's, it's the craziest thing. I don't know how it happened. I don't know why it happened, but it happened, and uh, I was pretty amazed. <laughs> but systematic theology <clears throat> is talking about the ten areas. Now, you have at the top of the pyramid, paterology. That is, as you can see from the key below, the doctrine of God the Father. Right, what we believe to be true about God, the Father, and all the things that the Bible tells us about him that we know to be true. Pneumatology is the doctrine of uh, God, the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the third part of the Trinity, Christology, is about the doctrine of God, the Son. Right, and they're sort of the top of the pyramid. They are God. <clears throat> right, and then you have angelology below that to the left, which you can pretty well determine probably what that's the doctrine of. But then right in the center of the pyramid, you have bibliology, right? Now, bibliology is important. It is the doctrine of the Bible. And it's important and it's at the center because it is central to every other area of doctrine. Because without the Bible, we wouldn't know anything about God. It is our primary and singular source about what we believe to be true about God. <coughs> you have anthropology, which is the doctrine of mankind. Hamartiology, which is uh, the doctrine of sin. Soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. Uh, eschatology is an interesting one. It's the doctrine of the church, which varies in different ways, but we're going to talk about why we believe in the Baptist doctrine and specifically the version of that that we believe. Uh, and then ecclesiology is everybody's favorite area of doctrine, and it's the doctrine of last things. Everybody loves to get into revelations, the end times. Uh, <clears throat> I think the uh, those books, uh, the what were they called? What was it? Left Behind. The Left Behind series made that really popular. People learning about what life will be like here on earth after the rapture and after the Lord returns and everything, which is a very interesting thing. Uh, but I think what is even more interesting than that is what we Christians will be doing after the rapture, you know, in that time and everything, which we're going to cover everything the Bible covers, which is what I believe we should do. <clears throat> but that is, um, that is systematic theology. And basically what that is, is it's going from learning the Bible by its stories, which is the basic thing. It's the important thing. It's the thing we should continue to do. Uh, but also systematic theology is sort of organizing what the Bible teaches us about God into these categories, right? These foundational truths and sort of putting them together to realize what truths they bring us.
right? Like, <clears throat> if A is true and B is true, then C must be true, right? And it's about adding these things together and, and proving them through the Lord and through His Word. And uh, next week, we will be starting in paterology, what we believe to be true about God the Father, knowing God and, and uh, the different names that we know God by, uh, specifically like Old Testament names, because those are uh, a little bit more special. In the Greek, they're just Greek names for the concept of a God. But in Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament is written in, there are specific names that God gave the children of Israel. He said, this is one of my names. Right, And when we translate their meaning, it teaches us something about who he was. Right, So we're going to start God the Father next week and learn about who he is and get to know him a little better and uh, why we believe the things we do about God the Father. And it'll be a really fun, interesting study. <clears throat> I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through that one, but it'll be a good time. But this list of doctrinal areas will serve as a kind of table of context for our lessons going forward. And it'll, it's going to feel more like a topical study, right? Because we won't be going through stories per se. And that will be the difference. Is that normally and usually for the past three years what we've been doing is in these Sunday school lessons we've been going through the different stories of the Bible surveying so that when we came to this point in Bible doctrine because I want Faith Baptist Church and its members to be ones that know why you believe what you believe, right? We want us, I want each one of you to be theologians. Right? I want each one of you to know why you stand where you do if you stand where we do. Um, <clears throat> so that is the important thing that we're doing here. Is that it's going to be more like a topical study, so it will be a little different, but it, that's why. And these things are very important for you to understand. Um, rather than like going through a book of the Bible like we have been doing. And so, but it will be good. It'll be interesting. You'll learn a lot about the Lord and His Word. And what that does for you is when you get to know God better... It, it helps you in a lot of different ways. There are blessings that come with that, but also it helps you mentally and it helps you spiritually. It helps you emotionally because the more you learn about God, the more theology you allow yourself to absorb, the more peace it brings you. Uh, I saw a, a Peanuts cartoon one time and I saved on my phone. I wish I had it ready to show you right now, but uh, it was... It was Linus, I know Linus is in there because Linus is our theologian in the Peanuts, right? He's the one that the Christmas special stands up and starts quoting scripture to everybody. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. So Linus is our, he's our Bible guy. But uh, and somebody else, it might have been Charlie Brown, it might have been Lucy, I don't remember who it was, but somebody else was standing there and it was raining really hard, really, really hard. And uh, <clears throat> they said something about being worried about it was going to rain so much that it was going to flood the whole earth. And Linus quoted scripture and said, God promised he'd never flood the earth again. And she goes, oh, that's a relief. And then Linus uh, comes up again. And he says, uh, proper theology is a relief to us all. You know, and it's supposed to be funny because they're children. You know, it's a very complicated concept for two kids to be having standing next to a window. But it is so true. The more you really know about God, the more peace it brings you. And also the more you learn about how God uh, interacts with our world and how the devil interacts with our world it'll really make you it'll change the way you see the world around you right when you begin to see the world through the glasses of the Bible it reveals things to you that you didn't even know existed and I'll give you an example of this uh, <clears throat> what really did this for me was angelology and I'm excited to get into that one because that's what really opens you up but the 
best Bible example I have of this is a Bible story of Elisha, right? Elisha's in the wilderness where their school is, right? And uh, one of his students is one of the, the sons of the prophets. He goes out uh, to get some wood or some water or something, and he's by the edge of the forest, and he sees the whole forest is surrounded by soldiers, right? And they're ready to invade and capture Elisha. And so he drops what he's doing, and he runs back, and he tells Elisha about it, and Elisha's not worried at all. And he's saying to him, Elisha, what are you doing? We need to get up. We need to go. We're going to die. And Elisha looks up to heaven. And he says, Lord, can you show him why I'm not worried? I don't have the energy today. And then the, the, the guy looks up and looks around him. And in the hills all around him are legions of angels. In chariots, you know, on horseback with swords drawn, ready to defend Elisha the instant their Lord commands them. And that brought out such peace to him. But also, can you imagine that changed the way he saw the world forever? Like there is constant war going on around you all the time. You just can't see it. Right? There are so many things that exist on a spiritual plane in the world we live in that we just can't see. We can't hear it. Our, our senses are not attuned to that frequency of existence. So we can't pick up on it. But when we begin to really dive into these things, it's going to change the way you see the world around you in a really great way. And I'm very excited for it uh, going forward. But that is our lesson for this morning. We are out of time. I'm four minutes late getting done. <coughs> we will be back at five after.